We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. setting the pace and joining me on today's show no Fachi, but scott agnes is here for a one-on-one conversation scott it's been a long off season how you doing man i'm doing well did i scare Fauci away what's going on here <laughs> oh yeah actually today i think is like the five or six year anniversary of him and his wife like their first date so they had a uh they could not he could not record tonight i don't blame him for that um he's being putting a, that above the podcast man it's smart that dedication. Man. marriage above the podcast <laughs> i uh i guess I, I can't relate i got you <laughs> i i can i can relate as a married man that sometimes you do have to make those sacrifices so uh Fauci, i just you, had to give him a hard time or else it's not a real episode right it isn't and you had to drop a fauci within like the first 30 seconds so i'm sure our listeners yep. will enjoy that but you know busy off season i guess We've talked a lot about the big stuff that's going on, but I'm kind of curious some of the smaller stuff because as we get going here, this week's been really interesting with the All-Star Game tickets releasing, and I know you've been reporting on this, and I kind of want to get some clarification. So my friend was one of those people that was online waiting to get into the queue, and when they finally got there, they could only buy individual tickets. They were sold out, I think, once they got in there. So just kind of a crazy hot mess with Ticketmaster. What What did you learn during that experience about this whole entire, you know, selling to Indiana people first and that kind of stuff. Yeah, it, it was one of those, Alex, where it was a, an incredible thought, uh, the great vision, great discussion, great opportunity. The reality is there was so much demand, plus the nasty bots and resellers, that it's one of those where the intentions were all there, but between the either the execution as well as the others that are ruining it for everybody, 
there weren't many happy campers after all of that. I was one of those that uh, I recommended to people go to the box office. It's, it's kind of a minor hack that I don't think too secret, but for concerts, whatever, if you go to the box office, you don't pay those pesky Ticketmaster fees where, you know, even a, a $45 ticket all of a sudden is 85 bucks. And you're like, wait, how did we get here? So I did both uh, went down to the Lucas oil stadium box office. Of course, the Saturday night, festivities will be at lucas oil not gamebridge Fieldhouse. something i i guess throughout the last week some people were just now finding out but that was uh, announced a month or two ago uh, unlocked in stone but uh there was probably about 60 fans in the box office when i arrived um about five minutes before the tickets be- went on sale um and by my rough estimation estimation i think only about 25 people left with tickets which is wow. a very minuscule number and one thing I think, Alex, here, too, is usually at the box office, they have a special allotment of, let's call them box office-only tickets. These are not available on Ticketmaster. I know that happens for concerts at GameBridge. I do that off all the time for me personally. But uh, that did not seem to be the case because some of the first people that came out uh, away from the box office, first of all, it took about 20 minutes for the first couple transactions to get done, which is kind of ridiculous. That should be six, seven minutes. But uh, they were like, yeah, we kept agreeing to buying tickets and then by the time the the person at the window clicked on it like all of us on our phones as well it said wait these have already been claimed please try again and again and again and so the execution was just tough and i know there was a lot of unhappy campers um so and that becomes a situation the follow-up question that you're probably going to ask is okay well that was only ten thousand five hundred there's going to be about thirty five thousand what about the other tickets and the answer right now is don't count on it the NBA's most basically in charge of all this, and those very likely will be part of those expensive NBA experience ticket packages. Um, those will be available maybe to league partners and big sponsors and those sorts of individuals. So the thought's got to be now for fans is unfortunately you're probably not going to get a ticket unless you're willing to play one of those extremely high resale prices, which I think is ridiculous now as people trying to capitalize on it. You know, they're listed now at like 12x the price of a $24 ticket. Yeah, I'm looking at your tweet here from just two days ago talking about how it's stuff of their 297, Seat Geek 293, Vivid Seats 305, when they were originally at 24, 49, and 79 each. So yep. definitely a bummer there because I know myself included, I was hoping to at least just be there for the experience. And since here in Indianapolis, um, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. It is what it is. And I'm sure was that your experience as well, by the way, I, I wasn't the one. Yeah. So I wasn't actually online trying to get it. My friend was trying okay. to do it while he was there. And he said the same thing. Like he was just like slowly kept seeing himself get higher up into like the pecking order. And then when he got there, like he could only select individual tickets. And then when he went to try to like refresh right. it to buy two, it said they were sold out. So, you know, just one of those bit of a bummer things. And so I, I don't know how to resolve this. I, I think that it's just going to be an ongoing situation, but if you, I guess if you really want to go and you didn't get a ticket, you're going to have to unfortunately play, pay the price gouging prices. But you know, sometimes I do think that it might be worth the price of admission just to have that experience because it is going to be a cool venue and you never know what's going to go down. It's in Indianapolis and you got your Pacers probably going to be represented heavily there during this, during this festivity. So that is a, a reason to maybe want to pay a little bit extra, but you know, speaking of festivities that went on this week, we saw Tyrese Halliburton, Obi Toppin, and a handful of different Indiana uh, connections playing in a pro-am. I know you were there at that event. It, it seemed like a lot of people were excited about it, and it was a good opportunity for fans to get out there and see Tyrese and Obi Toppin for the first time together in a uniform. 
What did what did you take away from that experience there and maybe some things you saw or some things you heard? Yeah, so that was a really cool experience. It was one of those where we saw uh, Tyrese tweet about it. But as we all know with pros, just because of their busy schedule and list of demands, I'm always a little bit hesitant. Like, are, are they really going to show up? Because also, for example, Benedict Matherin was uh, planning on attending uh, last week and participating, but he was told um, by his agent not to play. So that was unfortunate for for many. So that's one th- reason I didn't decide to like market it because I hate to have people invest and travel and then all of a sudden it does not happen. But there wouldn't have been room for many more. I mean, I was parked next to a curb, clearly illegally, but they're going to have to tow 50 people, Alex, before they got to mine. So I wasn't <laughs> too worried there. But once you get inside, it was a really cool experience. It was kind of just if people have not been there and I had either, it's Finch Creek Fieldhouse up north in Noblesville, about a 40 minute drive from downtown. And it's actually about a mile north of where the Mad Ants are going to play uh, or where they're going to build a new Noblesville Events Center uh, for the Mad Ants, whose new name is not to be determined just yet. But uh, that will be after this season is the plan. But anyway, you go inside and yeah, it's kind of a reunion of former stars uh, in high school basketball from, you know, Trace Jackson Davis, who obviously now is going to the pros, but even those below that, Joey Brunk, Jordan Walker, uh, Jeff Teague, who's now the Pike head coach, Andre Owens, Fred Jones was coaching one of the teams. So just for basketball diehards, that was great just in general. And then you add Halliburton and Toppin. And for Toppin, of course, it's his kind of debut inside this state in front of Pacer fans. So I got to believe he was, um, you know, appreciative of that. And really enjoyed that. It was his first chance, too, to play a run with Tyrese. They'd been working out the first couple of days this week uh, while Tyrese came back in town. And um, it, it, overall, it went well. Uh, their team did lose, unfortunately, for them. Uh, but they were competitive. I, to, to put into context, too, it, this game felt more competitive in terms of playing hard and some defense, more than the All-Star game, for instance. So while it was a pro-am, this was not guys just going through the motions. And I posted full-game highlights and then Pacers-specific highlights on my YouTube page. People can see. But I, I, I thought people easily had a great experience. And on top of that, it was free parking, free admission. So if you had a free night earlier this week and you wanted to see the Pacers, you could not beat this experience. No, I'm definitely sad that I missed out on that. I had a podcast scheduled that night, so, uh, you know, decided to do that instead. But I've been to some programs before here, and yep. they've been a lot of fun. I think there was one I went to when George Hill dropped like 50. Uh, he was going, I think he was playing with Eric Gordon or maybe against him. But I bet that was during the lockout over at IUPUI and the Knox Indy Pro-Am. That was the best I've ever seen the, a Pro-Am here in Indy, but yeah. it benefited because of the lockout and a, a dozen pros all needed action. Chris Copeland, Lance Stevenson, EJ, all mm-hmm. these different guys. You're right. That was during that time. You're totally right. I went with a, a, a buddy of mine that was a couple years older than me. He was like, hey, you want to go to this? I'm like, yeah, let's go, man. So, <laughs> uh, th- I mean, those are always cool just to, to experience those because it is a totally different environment. And those guys seem more laid back and down to earth. And you could tell some of the pictures that were put out there that the fans were just having a great time. And, you know, it, it just kind of shows you like what this – franchise did by extending Tyrese Halliburton they for know, sure yeah. they know who he is and he knows who he is to this franchise so talk to me a little bit about Tyrese some of the stuff you've learned about him over the last little bit of covering him I wouldn't say it's two years but close to two years now uh, of covering him and just kind of what he means to this city and what he means to this franchise moving forward yeah, the first thing, Alex, I go back to is his opening press conference. It was at a practice, what, that in February 2022. 
And he was visibly upset. Um, very young still, right? Probably 21 in year, you know, two, two and a half of the NBA. And all these guys talk about, I've seen it all my years in the league. They truly don't understand the NBA until they feel the business of it. Then they experience the true NBA experience. And so this was his first first thing. And he was deeply rooted in the Sacramento community. His mom had moved out there, his dog, his girlfriend. They were all in. He expected to be there 10 plus years, kind of naive uh, a little bit like many players are. And so this hit him hard. But to that point, I still remember he goes, this hit me hard because I love hard. And so that's what I'm going to do here. I'm going to try to get past it, but I'm going to love hard. And it felt like I go back to the analogy kind of with Paul George and fans wanted to love him and give him a big hug. And he was like, nah, you're not good enough for us. Same thing a little bit with Victor after his first year. And so Pacer fans, obviously, probably a little bit hesitant after all of those experiences, understandably so. And so why I feel different about Tyrese is, number one, is family-oriented, his Midwest roots. I thought it was really cool at this Pro-Am. You know, it, Tyrese wasn't there with five buddies that were, you know, sitting behind the bench. His mom, his girlfriend, his brother, sit, like they were all right there. And so that's very much representative of who he is and what he's about. He makes this part of his family. So I've uh, as well seen him make the Pacers part of his family. And um, I think he, he would have played in this program even without this contract extension. Um, one, he's not a guy to turn down a free game. And then also uh, this was representative too of his character is he told Kyle guy, former teammate at Sacramento. Yeah, I'll play in it. That was a month ago. And he followed through with that. Um, so I thought that was another touch point, a, a telling point about Tyrese, the human, the, his personality and what he's all about. Um, so that's been impressive. Uh, what he's done off the court beyond that, how he organizes runs. I mean, out in Vegas, they basically had the starting five out there working out for, I want to say, four days in a row in the early morning. Then they were sitting courtside for the, the summer league games. I mean, I've been there years before where it's maybe two what I call core players. But this year, only three guys were not there. So that's usually important both for what Tyrese and the Pacers are establishing and, and what this new era of Pacer basketball, I think, is about led by him. Yeah, and I and I mentioned George Hill earlier, uh, watching him play. I'm kind of curious, what is the status with George Hill and the Pacers? I know their roster is currently full right now, but I think they can still add players up think uh, up until training camp, or they can have guys for training camp contracts and then have to make that final cut before the season starts. But have you heard any more on maybe George Hill's interest in coming back and the Pacers' interest in George Hill at all? Yeah, nothing really new on that front. Again, I even don't think the – full roster is completely done yet if the Pacers could have their way. I still think, you know, really in a perfect world, they move off at least one of the bigs and go from there. I think I probably said on your show as well as others many times, I think it'd be good to go into the season with at least open one open roster spot to have some flexibility. But uh, so teams now can take 21 guys to training camp. Uh, they can have up to 18, not 17 on their right roster, including three two ways. And, of course, with Kendall Brown signing that last two-way as expected, they have the full 18-man roster set up. So uh, right now, no real movement any which way. Uh, same thing with James Johnson as well. Uh, George has expressed, you know, he, he obviously would, doesn't think he's done. He still would like to play another year, really, too, I think, and then move into management more towards a ownership-slash-advisor-type role 
uh, with this franchise. And um, that's something he he's set on trying to do, especially being his hometown team. There's so many ways he wants to impact this franchise and also combine that with the community. But uh, obviously right now there's no roster spot. A guy like him is not going to sign a, a exhibit 10 and just show up to training camp for training camp. Um, mm. So I don't see, I can't envision uh, something happening with either one of those guys, for example, unless there was an open roster spot. It just it just doesn't make sense for guys in that position. No, and that makes sense. I was just kind of curious because they emphasized so much last season mm-hmm. how the veterans were integral to this team having the success that they had. James Johnson obviously was the first guy, and I know we heard Carlisle say him several times. And then when they brought in George Hill after the trade, it was just like these two guys were so huge for our locker room, and now they just kind of – moved off them and brought in younger players. And that's not always a bad thing, but do you think there is that replacement player on the team currently right now? I think right now, Alex, it's kind of by committee. Um, there's so many good options. Um, there's no like true vet, like we talked about with James and, and G Hill that are very much would be more in that Udonis Haslam role to go back with Kevin Pritchard referenced many times that that guy that can play, but is more so on the roster for other reasons to be, be an extension of the coaching staff and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but I, when I look at this current roster, it starts with Tyrese. I'm sure he's a captain or will be miles Turner, buddy healed in some capacity, TJ McConnell. Um, so I don't see an obvious one. I, I think it's just for a group of four or five that comfortably can handle that spot. But um I, I also wouldn't put off, you know, maybe something happens later on and, you know, then they add a, a guy like that. But I, I also wonder if they get to training camp and want to see what they have. Does it does, let's say, Miles Turner emerge as a bigger leader even more so? Because I can tell you he's far more comfortable in himself and in his game than he's ever been before. And, and that's true probably for other guys, but especially Miles. I think he's uh, abundantly confident. And I say that in a good way. Um, finally now, whereas really kind of maybe insecure and not know where he fits in and maybe a little awkward um, and immature and just trying to figure things out those first couple of years and, and figure out the lead. But he, he definitely has now to this point. Yeah. And I want to get back to miles here in a second, but you know, you brought up TJ McConnell and this is a guy that we've heard quietly rumored. Uh, I know the Phoenix Suns have expressed interest based on reports that have been out there. From Jake Fisher, I think Mark Stein had that report, and I think Michael Scott had a report on that as well. So TJ McConnell, it's kind of interesting because he's a guy that I know Rick's going to have a hard time keeping off the floor, but based on bringing in Bruce Brown, they still have Buddy. They got Matherin. You know, Andrew Nimhart had a pretty good rookie season. I think they really liked what they saw from him in Summer League, too, running that that point guard unit with that, that, with that young team. Where do you kind of see McConnell's role? And do you think there is some truth, maybe some legitimacy to the Pacers looking to find him a new home? Yeah, yeah I think with TJ, as I kind of wrote when they acquired Bruce, the kind of writing was on the wall now that he was expendable for the first time. And I don't think people realize how close TJ and his family are to to the Pritchards, to many players on this team. Um, and so I think, it's not something they're certainly looking to do necessarily unless maybe he's the odd man out. And obviously coming off a, a career season, look, I, I'd want to thrive after that. Like I don't want to just go back and have a lesser role when I'm feeling really good, I'm healthy, um, and very confident and know that, you know, I probably have a handful of seasons left, so I want to maximize that. So I, I think my sense is that's really TJ's thought here. Um, he's still very close to many, but – 
and he hadn't been around, unfortunately, much this offseason. He was one of those uh, not in Vegas. Um, so I don't think this is a situation on right now, Alex, where they're looking to shop him. I think they would consider that consider all deals for him now for the first time. Whereas I think before, like, no, no, we're not moving him. Like he's too integral to what we're doing, but now he's expendable because there's so many different guys on this roster that can handle those responsibilities. Though I will point out what, what did we experience that first year with Rick Carlisle and backup point guards? It was a miserable experience. Right. And so that's why I don't think they're in a hurry or anything like that uh, with TJ, because if one of those point guards goes down, like we don't need a Brad Wanamaker, a Kiefer Sykes experience, great story. Sure. But not truly capable third string point guards for a team that now has playoff expectations. Yeah, I, I think that my expectation would be if they did move McConnell, that George Hill would be the easy replacement there as a third-string point guard. Kind of slides into that role a little bit easier because I know McConnell's probably going to want to have minutes and not be a guy that's taking DNAs mm-hmm. a lot of times. And that's why also I can see the Pacers front office being so close to him, trying to find him an opportunity where he will get that playing time. And if you look at Phoenix's roster, I definitely think he would be getting playing time, even though they do have a loaded backcourt. Um, he is a guy that I think could fit in really well and, and – you know, just mesh with that team because he doesn't have to have the ball in his hands to, you know, do great things. But he is definitely a little bit better with the ball in his hands because he can create for others too. So I just, I think it's an interesting dynamic because at this point, I think it's pretty obvious Nimhart and Halliburton are kind of your future at the point guard position. So his contract, I think next year is partial guarantee for TJ McConnell. So they could. That's right. There's just, you know, the writing just kind of feels like it's on the wall a little bit with McConnell, but with only Phoenix being the team attached to him, I don't know how, like, serious these rumors are or whatever, but I do think that the Pacers would probably like to find a new home for him if that's what's best for his career. Yeah, I know there's been at least a couple other teams that have just kind of checked in and wanted to see what the situation, what might it cost to, to be able to get him you know, right now. But again, I, I also think we're right now in a standstill as a league, just as a whole, because they're trying to figure out, all right, what are we doing with Damian Lillard, right? Mm. Teams want to maintain that flexibility. And so I think that's very much why from a transaction trades roster management perspective, there really hasn't been much news of note in the last, what, really since July, like eight, nine, like yeah. three weeks here now, um, other than maybe solidifying two ways and bringing in guys for cam things like that there has not been any real trades and so um nobody really expects james harden to be going anywhere that's kind of a laughable situation uh so it's really kind of dame damian lillard a little bit pascal siakam um although toronto is one of the most difficult teams to read so it's really the damian lillard situation but um I, right now, it appears T.J. McConnell will begin this season uh, with the team. And I, I will push back one more thing, though. Yeah. I, I kind of envision Bruce Brown being the third-string point guard or emergency point guard, if you will. He's a guy that can play so many different roles um, that before, like a George Hill type would get minutes, mm-hmm. I think you just slide him down and play that point guard role. No, that makes sense. I, I was more so thinking of like filling that roster spot, having that better sure. team. And you know, if you needed George to play, obviously I think George is limited in what he can do right now in his career. Clearly not the same guy, but uh, if you need him to play like five to seven minutes in a regular season game, I don't think it's the worst of things. Um, We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Before I get to Miles Turner, I did want to talk to you about the in-season tournament. We haven't really touched on that much on the podcast yet. We've briefly mentioned it, but I kind of know how it works. I understand it based on what I read and how the teams will play each other, and then they'll kind of base that win-loss record in terms of who goes to play in Vegas. I guess that's kind of how I'm reading it. Maybe there's a little bit more understanding from your side on how this is going to work. Yeah, so it's one of those, personally, I'm skeptical. It feels a little gimmicky to me. It feels like instead of focusing on on basketball and what we know, Adam Silver's trying to, all right, let's try to get some soccer uh, involved, some soccer style involved in this. And and I get it to a point, What the purpose of this is not just to make it all about one in-game where only one team wins a championship. Let's have other rewards, other enticements out there. I will say I've asked a couple players about it, and their first thought is, hey, I'm competitive. This actually gives us some something competitive to make those November December games more notable. And I, I guess I do like a little bit how some of the games are clarified. I think it's on Tuesday and Fridays for the first, for those two months of the season, um, because the same kind of thing is happening in the WNBA and it's totally confusing, Alex. I do not understand <laughs> it because for example, and I'm making it up, but like tonight's fever game, let's say is part of that cup, but to, the next day isn't, but another teams it is. And it's like, I don't know how, you, and, and I guess it's the same way in the G League a little bit too. There's kind of two co- two records, like a conference record, and then a cup record. Like you gotta simplify, it. and it, I think it speaks to your question and being a little confused about it. Part of it is the newness, and part of it is trying to simplify. I would encourage everyone. One of the best interviews I've heard Zach Lowe have uh, was he had a guy on from the NBA scheduling and such to explain it. That's the best clarification. I've gotten on all of that. So I would highly recommend that. But you, so basically you have all of that. Um, they, they try to even out uh, the, these games. And so it's not, you know, one of these 
let's call them divisions or whatever, are uh, not stacked. So you, you have one really good team, a couple bad teams, and a couple teams on the middle. They tried to even those out. You play you play some games, and then the semifinals and finals will be in Las Vegas. And in turn, the G League Showcase is moving to Orlando. So that, in general, is what we know and kind of all we need to know, I think, right now. Uh, players, I guess, are excited because it adds that competitiveness to games that maybe lacked a little bit. I don't know. I guess we'll see. Yeah, I did hear Gabe Vincent talk about it on JJ Reddick's podcast, and one of the things he Good. talked about is they get more money, I think, <laughs> for competing in or making the championship in the in the end season tournament or winning it than they got in the right. finals. So that's a little bit interesting. I I definitely agree that it does feel gimmicky. I think they need to have more of an incentive to want to play this. Not sure how you can incorporate that, but there, I feel like they could do something, but also just trying to stay relevant during the football season is always going to be a challenge for the NBA. And I don't think an in-season tournament is going to help it that much, but <laughs> Hey, you never know. I, mean, yeah. I appreciate the league for trying to try new things. And if the players can get on board with it, I mean, so can I, but I did put in one of our season goals that I hope we win the in-season tournament just because, I mean, what a great thing to be a part of the first in-season tournament, the Pacers champions. I mean, it sounds nice. Probably won't happen, but <laughs> You know, it's just uh, we can hang that banner up there in uh, Gamebridge Fieldhouse and join the Colts for, uh, you know, gimmicky banners. But with that being said, Miles Turner, this is a guy that you talked about. Had a oh, cross- oh, want- Yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to round out that conversation because you did bring it up. For the money, the winning team gets $500,000 each, each player. Losing team gets two hundred. Semifinals, one hundred and fifty. dollars uh, Well, like 100000 and then 50000 for the the quarterfinals winners here's my thing in all that alex is shouldn't those be divided up by the percentage of the cap that you have so for instance that five hundred thousand dollars will be much more meaningless to tyrese halliburton than it does ben shepherd and what if one guy's starring and one guy's not? i know there's no perfect system but that was one thing i was thinking about is why shouldn't that be based on your percentage of the cap um so the guy like braun maybe is making two million and the 15th guy on that roster is making 50,000 or whatever. But I think a lot of things, too, anything new, you got to give it time. You got to allow it to play out. But my initial indications is, eh, do we really need this? But we'll see. Yeah. Go ahead. I, Sorry I, to interrupt. I do agree with that. And I will say this 500,000 in NBA terms does not sound like a lot of money. But I still think any player would be lying if they said, ooh, $500,000 for winning this championship. Okay. Like I, they're going to love that. So I mean, $500,000, it does go a long way, even if you are. Uh, you know, uh, a nine-figure person like Tyrese after the <laughs> extension. So yeah, it, it still it still does carry some weight. But I I want to go back to Miles because he's been on a podcast, Gilbert Arenas' podcast. I watched like some of it. It was kind of annoying to watch. I'm not gonna lie. It wasn't Miles that was annoying. It was more of the different people on Arenas' podcast that were just like talking about random stuff about you know Garnett versus Duncan, who's a dog for like 20 minutes. Uh, that was an interesting conversation where Miles just kind of sat there and didn't say much. So, uh, but Miles is just like a totally different person. It feels like than he was just a couple of years ago. Really seems to be comfortable with who he is. Getting really into fashion, kind of showcasing more of that. I think he even went with his sister on a little uh, trip somewhere to get really into that for a little bit. And then this year had a career year as the as the lone big, the solo center and. Really, I feel like just kind of catapulted himself up into one of those top 10 centers in the league for sure now. Like you feel really confident about that. So talk to me about Miles' confidence, his growth last year, and maybe some off-the-court stuff if you have some more information on that. But I just feel like this is going to be a big year for Miles once again. Yeah, and it should. Uh, One of the biggest things that I think about with Miles is he's having a healthy offseason. He hasn't had that for the last – 
couple of off seasons. Fans will remember how he had that big toe injury and then he had that stress reaction in his foot. And that stress reaction in particular, because he's a big, I mean, that was raising all kinds of alarm bells, being concerned about that. So the fact that he was able to get through that and, and now be healthy and not just have a healthy off season, but man, the dude is living. Yeah. I, I was able to catch up with him about it, Las Vegas, and really cool. Uh, I, I can get into that. I don't know how deep you want me to go. I can go really as deep, deep but, as you can. Um, it's the off season, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, first of all, one thing he's done over the last several years is the, spend the first month of the season just kind of disconnecting, not doing anything physical. Uh, that might mean a trip to Wyoming, might be a trip to Colorado uh, with a couple of his buddies, a couple managers, and just hanging out, like being one with nature. I guess is what it comes down to here um, and, and kind of doing that. And then the big thing that he did here in early, uh, actually late July, June was as part of the NBA players, national basketball players association is about, let's call them about 10 guys, including O'Shea Brissett, by the way, uh, were able to fly over uh, to Milan and be part of like a three, four day conference with brilliant business and really fashion leaders out there. I think one of the main ones he he singled out was uh, Georgie Urbani. Like he was, I don't know if partying, but socializing at a, a reception and, and doing things like that. And for fans that may not know uh, his sister, she's probably, I don't know, 2021 20, really big into fashion. So I think one, he was help, able to help her a little bit, uh, help her give a, a taste of what that's like, where fashion is uh, monstrous. Like that's where, they have really have those fashion weeks. And then also, he too has gotten into that. Tyrese has gotten more pub and uh, uh, more notoriety and more the Instagram walkway in pictures uh, for what he does. But um, Miles, I'd say over the last year, has really expanded that and gotten more comfortable. Um, and then relating that to basketball, you're right. I think over the last couple of years, the biggest thing for Miles, Alex, has been uh, his maturity, his confidence, his comfort in who he is, what he is. Uh, I thought it was notable, for example. Yes, they were going into notably what would be a, clearly a losing season last year. Um, but we didn't hear him talk about any kind of those those lofty goals. I want to be defensive player of the year. I want to be all NBA. Did you know I'm the best defensive player of the year? He may think those, but I, I part of me, those, those kind of became tired conversations because if the team's not winning and if the t- defense as a team is as is, is poor as it's been, those those conversations are moot. And so I thought he truly understood, recognized confidently who he was, but he didn't need to express that. He didn't need to demand that others call him, let's say, the defensive player of the year. So I was I thought that was one way maybe in which he evolved. Now going into this next season, very curious, as are many, what this team defense uh looks like because it's been piss poor quite frankly, the last couple of years, um, especially kind of the, in the last couple of seasons. Although the caveat, trying to lose, trying to get a good draft pick, we can kind of understand that. But it was not fun to watch the team defensively post-All-Star break. Um, I mean, they were giving up 130 points per game and teams were shooting 50%. Like, it just was not good. So it starts with Miles, but more than that, Alex starts with adding defensive players, some of which they've done this offseason, and then guys taking ownership. Like, Tyrese knows he's got to be a capable, you know, an average defender. He can't be bad. Um, and lack of days ago. And we saw that many times, like Rick Carlisle did not hesitate to pull the star out of the game on defensive possessions because he could say, insert Nemhard, who's a better defender, or even TJ McConnell. So uh, those are some of the steps other players need to make. And they, they got too reliant, I think, on Miles being that safety net, being that last line of defense, which is great. 
but everybody else let the team down, and that's what's got to change. Yeah, I mean, I think bringing in Bruce Brown is going to help that defense quite a bit. I think drafting Jairus mm-hmm. Walker, you hope that helps uh, instantly. And then, uh, of course, just getting more experience for guys like Andrew Nimhard, Benedict Mather, and a guy that really struggled on defense last year. It, it just seems like this is a team that really needs to take some steps forward in that direction. Bringing in Bruce Brown, I think a lot of people are anticipating he starts, especially with the money that he's making. You know, I was pretty like on the fence, like, is he going to start? Because he even talked about he'd be okay with coming off the bench. And I know how much Carlisle loves Nimhard, and I know how well Nimhard played next uh, last year next to Tyrese Halliburton. So I'm not saying that I, I, I'm i kind of like backing off my stance and saying like Nimhard probably still starts, but I can see Nimhard closing out a lot of games just because of his defensive upside, his playmaking ability. And I kind of wonder where this puts Matherin a little bit because I feel like Matherin's going to really have to take some major steps this year on the defensive side of things to reach that full potential that he wants to reach because at this point, this team's trying to win. And while they're still trying to develop and, and grow as a team, I think winning and defense have become more of the priority. And I think that Matherin's going to have to really take some steps in that area to prove that he can be that two-way player that he wants to be. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you just said right there. I thought as notable that Nemhard and Matherin are not with the Canadian national team this offseason. You know, from year one to year two generally is when these young players can make that one of the largest leaps in their career. They have the know-how, the understanding of what both the league is like, opponents are like, the schedule is like. They can prepare their bodies, add some strength, add some weight. And I think what we all saw in Summer League, first of all, was like, my initial reaction at about five minutes was, yep, uh, Andrew Nemhart's too good for this. He yeah. he could be shut down right now. Um, and it's funny because Tyrese said he later turned and, and told Rick Carlisle that as well. Uh, and Matherin, I, I, I didn't like exactly what he did there. I thought he was got a little bit outside himself. However, I always caution is summer leagues a time to experiment. It's mm-hmm. It's a time to do a little bit more or do some different things and just try it. Um, for the first year guys, for example, I think summer league's a time when you can see maybe who isn't it. But if a guy pops off, it doesn't necessarily mean that he he will. But I think you can maybe tell us, oh man, th- this guy does not have a place in the league. And I didn't think we had that feeling about any of the guys out there. Um, even like Ben Shepard did not like what he did. Uh, he didn't um, his first game felt way more comfortable and confident after game two. And that's to be expected. But uh, to go back, I think your original question about uh, Matherin, I'm anticipating him being in that starting lineup. Uh, there's a, as you said, there's a variety of different ways you could go as of right now, my thinking here, Halliburton, Bruce Brown. And yeah, I can't imagine the highest played player on the team, a versatile guy, a guy that brings defense and what do they need defense? Yeah. I see him at the two Matherin, I see Obi Toppin now coming in and allowing Jarris Walker to ease his way in, which is a great thing. Yeah. And maybe by the end of the season, it's Jarris Walker starting. But to me, that's kind of the buddy heel uh, Benedict Matherin experience last year, what I, which I think was good. Uh, and so to, to round out Toppin and, and Turner is what I see as a starting group right now. But to your point, yeah. What if, what if at the end of the game, maybe it's a uh, oh, – TJ McConnell and Nemhard and Aaron Neesmith and Miles Turner and probably Jairus Walker as your as your defensive four because that was the biggest thing he showed as expected was what he can do defensively in pick and rolls, get moving um, and, and taking on guards, taking on bigs. Um, a lot of intrigue with that, at least defensively. Offensively, he a lot of, he left a lot to be desired. However, then that clearly the injury bothered him enough where he needed surgery. So. 
now yeah. I now I kind of reset what my takeaway may have been considering all that. One last thing I will note though is throughout all those and the many interviews we did with Jairus, to his credit, he never mentioned it. He never blamed anything on it. Never was like, hey, I hung in there or, you know, gripped that that elbow. So um, I guess that's a good thing. But to get that cleaned out going into the season is the right call if there was any kind of issue, which there clearly was. Yeah, no no doubt about that. I mean, hopefully that was help, that was impacting his shot because the shot didn't look great in summer league. So <laughs> no, I'm hoping that I don't that think was, that's who he is. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think he's really a shooter that much either. Like, he will shoot it occasionally, but he didn't have a high attempted number when he was at Houston. So we'll see. I think he'll be used a little bit differently than how he was in Houston just because totally yeah. different game, a lot of different personnel around him. But, yeah, there are a lot of question marks with this team. And, you know, I, I thought Caitlin Cooper on our last podcast brought up a great point talking about how Ben Matherin really likes playing off the left wing, and that's where he thrived last year. And uh, I believe Buddy Hill thrived up the left wing as well. But Bruce Brown, his some of his best numbers are on the right side of the court. So – Yep. Having those two play together <laughs> could be really beneficial, and I think that makes a lot of sense. But um, other than that, I think that we've pretty much hit on a lot of stuff here. I guess my last question is just about Rick Carlisle, because we don't hear a lot about Rick Carlisle during this time, but, you know, he's a huge voice with this front office. I'm just kind of curious, you know, your thoughts on maybe his impact with this previous, you know, draft and getting Bruce Brown here and how you see him kind of taking this team from, 35 wins to probably more in the playing range. Yeah. I mean, he, he has his hand on everything that is going on in this organization. He, he, he lives on the phone um, and talking with players. I mean, the Pacers put out the, those tweets of him attending Aaron Neesmith's camp, by the way, he has a home like 30 minutes away from Charleston. So it's not <laughs> super difficult, but also it's meaningful and he'll go back to Dallas and I'm sure he'll, he'll be able to meet up with Buddy Heald and Miles Turner a little bit in the off season as well. He, he values that time. I'm sure he's in constant communication. Maybe he'd see something on film and text Ben. Uh, and by the way, we got to clarify now uh, with Ben is Ben Matherin and Ben Shepard is Shep. Uh, okay. That's one thing now we got to get used to again, because if you remember, like it was, uh, what was it? A couple uh, Mileses. You had Miles Turner and CJ Miles. And there was, it, there was all kinds of things. But yeah, it's, it's Ben Matherin and Shep. But um, yeah, to go, go, getting another 10s wins is going to be extremely difficult because I think the biggest thing in all this, once they got to improve the defense, and that's not an easy fix, not just personnel. It's, it's so many guys that have to be impacted. Uh, and then secondly, um, and all this is, I thought towards the latter end of the season, part of the reason they were losing too is teams started to take them seriously. And we're like, all right, this isn't like a game we can just go in and know we're going to get a victory. Like it might've been against Houston, Detroit, Orlando, whatever. It's like Tyrese raised the expectations for everybody, including opponents in mid-December when he was on that terror. Um, and had that, including that back-to-back -back sequence in Miami and Boston and in all of that. So uh, the other thing I'm watching closely here is the coaching situation because I think it's really interesting that Rick's, Rick's evolved a ton. This is actually probably a story I want to get into because I've talked with several people, Chauncey Billups, Eddie Gill, uh, guys that played for him before 20 years ago, and then guys today. He's evolved a great deal to the point where on offense, like he's not calling any any plays really mm -hmm. in years past, like with Chauncey Billups, for example, who's only with him like a year, like Rick was calling every single play. So that was one area that he's evolved a great deal. And now he's really hinted and came out how he plans to get away from the coordinator system um, 
Whereas really Mike Weiner was the offensive coordinator, Ronald Knorr, the defensive coordinator. Uh, Jenny Busick really handled late game situations, out of bounds plays, um, and a little bit offense. And then Lloyd Pierce was really basically an associate head coach who oversaw things. You know, the assistant coaches brought things to Lloyd and then Lloyd and them would bring it to Rick, for example. Um and so how that works and, and what those tweaks maybe how they impact the defense. Um, and by the way, the assistant coach they promoted here and Jim Boylan focuses on defense first. So mm. that's automatically going to lead some to some changes. We're just not sure exactly what. But I thought that was the big thing that stood out to me from game one to game two down at Summer League, how, were, how they were defending and, and what guys were expected to do. Yeah, I know that's that's a great point. You know that Ronald Moore thing. Did we ever get clarification on why he ended up leaving? Was it just for a bigger role in Atlanta? Yeah, I'll just leave it right now. That's incomplete. Um, oh, you're okay. exactly right. Um, okay. Yeah, I, yeah. It was, it was very <laughs> I was different. Able to talk with him. I was able to talk with him briefly at summer league. Uh, nothing on the record, unfortunately. Okay. He knows I am <laughs> glued in and have been trying since I found out in early June. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was very weird, Alex. Like. I had no called one, really. him. Phone had been disconnected. I DM'd him because he's very he was very active on Twitter. He deleted his social media accounts. What hadn't opened that up? Like, so things are very different. One thing I should say too is he had another kid. So, like, I don't know what that's like, but I think maybe he has three kids now, and the last okay. one was born in May. So, I mean, that's a lot more on your plate as well. His specific role with Atlanta, I don't know. They haven't announced it, anything like that. But he was out at Summer League and around the Hawks, wearing Hawks gear. It was kind of cool, though, I will note. Uh, I think it was, game, it was game three at Cox Pavilion. He was there and sat next to the Pacers bench for the first half and was just hugging guys. And it felt like some closure and some good feels that maybe everybody needed. Yeah, I because I kept thinking, man, if Rick is a step down, I could almost see him becoming the Pacers head coach just because of how high they talked about him. Even though I know Lloyd Pierce, Pierce is the assistant head coach, I just thought maybe there's some – I think he would have been maybe second in, in, in the odds for who would be the come the next coach if Carlisle were to step down and they were to go to internal hires. But uh, I would yeah. say that would probably not be the case now, obviously. So uh, Yeah, he badly wants to be a head coach. That's the gotcha. big thing going on here. And – He's bounced around a little bit trying to to push his name and get out there and, and get a bigger opportunity. You know, he went from, uh, you know, he was in a situation under Brad Stevens in Boston to the Long Island next G League head coach to I think he went back to Eastern Kentucky for a year and then Charlotte and then Indy. And so this man is eager to lead a team. Hey. And I think he will be a great head coach. It's just when might that time come? Yeah, I, I respect the grind. So last one here for you. I know I've, I've kept you a little bit longer than we probably talked about, but we did a fast food draft with Caitlin Cooper on our last podcast. And when we classify fast food, it doesn't always mean like drive through chains. It can also mean like quick food. You go in an order, you can take it out. Like it doesn't have to have a drive through, but it technically doesn't have to have a waiter, I guess you could say. So I guess my personal question here for you is like, not my personal question, but my question for you is what's mm. your personal favorite? Like your top three fast food places that you go to? Huh. Let's see. In no order, Taco Bell, Chick-fil-A, okay. and probably like I'm missing something. I know I'm missing something. I don't know. Probably a pizza place or Penn Station. Okay. So it's interesting. That's probably where I'm at. Yeah. So, but ta Taco Bell is my, my one I know I shouldn't have. And, <laughs> exactly. you know, it's just so dang good, man. Yeah. And it takes me back to the childhood a little bit for I, sure. But T-Bell is probably my go-to. 
Uh, actually, no, to clarify, Chick-fil-A is my go-to. Okay. T-Bell is my like splurge because it's so good. Yeah, that's that's what I said. We didn't actually draft Taco Bell because I think all of us were a little bit too Really? Nobody to took Taco Bell. It was oh, it was man. sitting there on the board after we had 15 picks taken. Uh Focci, okay. obviously in New York had some different places that we don't have here regionally. And one that he talked about okay. was a Mediterranean place called Cava in New York. He said it's very good. So if you're ever out in that area, I think you should try it because the way he was describing it, it's also like a restaurant too, where you can have more like the fine dining, but you can also do like a takeout type thing on the other side, like more of a, I guess kind of a similar comparison would be like a P.F. Chang's and a Payway type of thing uh, would be my guess. I'm sure you've heard of Payway gotcha. being like that uh, chain for- For sure. Yeah. Uh, and I've actually been on like a Panda Express kick lately. I don't know why, but okay. hey, there's a, there's one at IUPUI. It's not my favorite or certainly go-to. It's just convenient and something yes. different and something i'm not going to make at home so yeah. that's that's generally what i try to do other than like the splurges like t-bell uh yeah. try to go get food that i'm not going to make at home so i'm never <laughs> i'm rarely going out and, like buying pasta because i'd make that all the time at home so yeah exactly because i mean i had chick-fil-a as, as the first pick i had the first pick in the draft i had pin on my board i had shake shack uh i ended up picking enzo's pizza over there by u of i which enzo's is, you ever had it i no, i've never heard of that Oh, it's it's by Taco Bell over there by U of I. So, uh, U of I, yeah, U Indy, no U of I, right? University of Indianapolis, I guess it's called U Indy, right? U Indy, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so I was called U of I. Sorry, <laughs> I uh, got you. Yeah, I get down there once a year for uh, some broadcasting judging. So I don't even know gotcha. the, the lay of the land great there. I'm going yeah. over to IUPUI is what I'm talking about. Yeah, IUPUI is downtown. Yeah, UND is over kind of off of like uh, Hannah. A little maybe? south side kind of. Yeah, yeah, So it's it's pretty good. There's It's kind of like Luca Pizza. That There's one in 135 uh, that I've seen before if you're going like <laughs> towards like yeah. where JMV lives at. Uh, but uh, yeah, so and then Caitlin had Noodles and Company, Portillo, Steak and Shake, McAllister's and Chicken Salad Chick. So I was man. Like, steak, she mentioned you mentioned steak and shake. I that was depressing when Jake Query posted a photo. We both went to North Central High School, and steak and shake was the hangout. It was a yeah. guaranteed after every Friday football game and after basketball games, we would be there at steak and shake. And not only is it closed, but it's bulldozed. I was like, damn, there's oh, wow, there's my high school years. Like that, that was tough. I I can't tell you the last time I went to steak and shake, but back in the heyday, I probably hit that up once a week, but. I mean, the service is just atrocious there. So, well, I mean, you had a lot of young people <laughs> as your waiters and waitresses working 24 hour shifts. I mean, that was a the problem. They were open 24 hours. So, I think that that does play a little bit into it. But the new ownership just kind of destroyed that whole tire franchise a little bit. And now, uh, now I, I've walked down the by the one downtown and they no longer have service. It's crazy. It's all, it's all gone digital, Alex. And now, oh, so wow. there's like three computers or iPads and you just take your order. You get it at the counter and then sit down like any other place. So it kind of lost its touch there in my mind because yes. sometimes if you want to sit down, that's what you wanted to do. But yeah. uh, I will say my last thought on on kind of the food aspect, I was having a conversation yesterday with someone about this, was it's sad how right there on Delaware Street, right next to the field house and the, the practice facility, the St. Vincent Center, there's no good, great or great options. The Qdoba was really the only thing there, and that's now gone. There should be a coffee spot. There should be something simple and easy and somewhat healthy, a Jimmy John's, a Subway, a, a McAllister's, a, a sub place is what comes to mind there. Cause I know a lot of people at the Pacers kind of order that stuff delivered now, but um, there is, you know, the brewery and agave and rye, but there is, there, there's that fast casual and a coffee spot are the two things that are missing in my mind there at Cityway. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. I think the closest thing probably to all that, I mean, is Tupelo Honey kind of close there now? I know that's new. It's new. I mean, get that takeout. Yeah, but that, that doesn't yolk. fit this criteria to me. Yeah. And uh, neither does Yoke. But those are both really good spots in my mind. They, but they are. Those are you're going to go sit in and have a nice brunch on Sunday yeah. afternoon. Yeah, on the other side, I guess closer to Pennsylvania or on Pennsylvania, you got five guys and Wingstop there. But I mean, like you said, that's not very healthy. That's very greasy and a lot of calories. So. <laughs> that's about a block from where I live for six years, so I know oh, all yeah. about all that. There's a new Chick Fil A. Uh, there's what else? I would go inside the mall a lot too and uh, do that. So I get a walk in and also. A, Go to the food court there and several options. Yeah, there's that calzone place right across the street from the field house too. What's that called? I, I, it's sad, I, Alex. I've never been there. Yo, that's right. You know what's funny is I was actually in there and I saw you walk by one time. That's hilarious. Uh, okay, but, yeah, uh, I've never been there, but next to that's the seafood place. But gosh. no, the calzone place I've never stopped in. It was it was all right. I haven't I haven't been back and it's been about a year and a half ago. So. Uh, but anyway, enough enough food talk for this week on the podcast. So I hope you guys enjoyed all the food talk here. I just had to get uh, Scott's thoughts on that. But Scott, go ahead and let everybody know where they can find you at on social media and plug anything you'd like to plug. Yeah, you can just follow me at, uh, at Scott Agnes on Twitter and Instagram and then fieldhousefiles.com where all my work goes up. And uh, it, some things are free. The majority of stuff is behind the paywall. But uh, added a crap ton of subscribers so it's been a very good last couple hey. of months i will say alex so that has been very helpful you can tell i think that kind of matches the enthusiasm fans have for the team when the team's down i think us in the creative content world we feel that your listeners are probably down my subscribers are probably down and likewise it feels like we're we're heading up we're heading to a nice trajectory here so i invite people to to join me here and, and join the community I would say it's only going to get better from here. I'd be kind of shocked if we see this kind of go back down. I think this is on the rise up and we're, we're getting closer and closer to this team becoming a solidified playoff team in the future. So I think fans, there's a lot of reason to be excited. So Scott, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it and uh, keep up the awesome work. Appreciate it, Alex. Thank you. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast, sweeping every team.